fullback belly. Three tight ends, including Habner. Kuhn is the fullback with the first and goal. Kuhn gets the ball. Pile The fantasy fullback dive is beyond thrilled to welcome on one of the biggest, baddest, most recognizable wolves in the game, establish the runs, Evan Silva, at Evan Silva on Twitter. Evan has been crushing content for the Establish the Run draft guide, including his team previews, his sneaky stacks, his tiers of Evan, love that name, by the way, the top 150. And he's also co-hosting the ETR podcast with another fantasy beast, Mr. Adam Levitin. Evan, thank you so much for coming on, man. How's it going tonight? It's going good, man. It's going good. Uh, earlier did a podcast. First time I've really ever spoken to Bill Barnwell, who has like, always been someone that I kind of looked up to, really. Um, or I, I, I thought was smart. We had him on the Establish the Run podcast, and that was a thrill. Um, we actually were scheduled to podcast with him on Wednesday, but I went to the haircuttery for my first haircut in like legit six months, you know, oh, yeah. I'm crazy. And um, I, I, they, they, you know, it was their first day opening, the haircuttery's first day opening since like literally like March. And um, they, it was, they, um, they, they wouldn't let, they didn't want too many people inside. So a lot, there were like people waiting outside. I was waiting outside. I was like sweating and, and like, I, I wound up waiting for like 35 minutes, which is a long time to, w to wait, to get your hair cut. And I, you know, I was like uh, DMing with Barnwell and talking with uh, Adam Levitane on Slack. And I was like, yo man, like, I'm going to be late for this podcast. You know, and we were trying to figure out what to do and we just decided to uh, delay it. But I mean, I, I had to prioritize this haircut because it was getting real, real bad in the back. I mean, a horrible mullet. And, um, and once I got in there, the, the hair cuttery, the, the hairstylist, she told me that she had cut three, three heads of hair since uh, March, like 15th, you know, and that's what she does for a living. And she was like, I was like, how did you kind of deal with that? You know, and she was like, I drank a lot, like during the day, you know, and I was right. like, I did that too. And, um, but, you know, but mine was a lot out of boredom and hers, her was a lot out of like anxiety. Yeah. It was like legit worried about her situation. She, you know, she has a, a little four-year-old girl that she takes care of and doesn't necessarily have a lot of friends in the, in the neighborhood and, you know, just kind of stayed inside all the time. And, um, you know, I have a little daughter of, of my own and, um, you know, at the, I mean, she gave me a great haircut and, um, I gave her a hundred dollar tip and oh, she, yeah. she, you know, she thought it was like, the, she goes, she, I, I, I knew she was looking at the screen. She goes, <gasps> you know, and it just, it, it made me feel good, but I, I knew, you know, I, I, I wanted to help her out, you know, Absolutely. At that point, you know? and so, uh, but I mean, that's, you know, just, just my little story from, uh, 
from the, 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 the pandemic. And um, it's, it's good to be here to talk about, you know, uh, happy times. Hopefully that hopefully the NFL will play a season. Oh, thank God. We need it, man. It's been, it's been absolutely wild. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got my hair cut last week. It's like, do you feel like a new man at this point? I, yes. I needed it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I've been moving and it's freaking oh. 90 degrees out. Oh. And I'm, I cannot have this like hair all over me, making it, you know, my making right. just everything miserable. So it, it really, it really has been, it was like a, a changing experience almost. Absolutely. It really is. Yeah. My, my girlfriend was like, I cannot look at you another day. You have to go get your haircut or else. So th- thank God I did. It's been a, it's been a life changer to say the least uh, on this end too. So, and, and same idea as you too, as soon as I got in, like you, you got to tip our, your, your barber. Uh, so good stuff, man. It, yeah. I, mean, it, it, I was like, yo, I would have, I would have spent all that money on haircuts. Exactly anyways during that time so why not just give it all to her she probably needs it you know it sounded like she needs it and so and it it probably you know help help make her day and honestly it kind of helped make my my day because I just felt like I did something you know nice for another person 100% man yeah great stuff as always that that's that's great to hear and and that's you know we all gotta do so everyone listening make sure you're you're tipping your barbers you're tipping if you're finally Mm -hmm. able to get out and get to the food service industry Mm -hmm. that you know everybody needs that stuff right now so yeah good to hear and, and great tips just in life and of course, we're here for the fantasy tips, but I mean, that's, that's all the good stuff right there. Um, and on the show today, it's, speaking of fantasy tips, we're going to kind of give you a little sampling platter of Evan's pieces in the draft guide. Of course, we're not going to give you everything because, my God, you got to just go get it. It's 30 bucks. You get a $25 coupon. So you're essentially getting the best insight in the game for five bucks. It's, it's unbelievable. I've already gotten my copy. I've been digging through the last week, and I, I keep losing my schedule because I'm finding myself reading the team previews it's three hours later I'm late for dinner like it's a fantastic guide so we're going to dive into you know a a question or two about every single piece and then what I I love to do and the reason I I bought it last year the reason I bought it this year I love doing is cross-checking my top 150 with Evans there's very few guys I'll do that with um, and I don't mean that as an asshole like I I respect my own rankings enough that I don't really like to change them much but man I I love to see other bold rankers too and see holy shit I do too it's it's so helpful to see that and and so there's definitely some guys we see eye to eye on on a lot of them but it's more helpful for us to kind of dissect or at least for me to see okay man like and I don't want to give any away but let's say Juju is so high on Evan's big board and he's so far down on mine do I need to reevaluate so there's only a handful of guys I like to do that with Evan is certainly one of them so to actually be able to speak about it and not just look at his big board and reconsider is an absolute thrill so again thank you so much for coming on that's kind of the segment we have planned but first as we kind of always do there's ever a, a brain to dissect a fantasy brain it is the king silvas himself so i'd love to just ask you a few general questions before we get into the draft guide stuff starting with what's kind of been your path into this industry how did you get involved and what advice do you have for others looking to kind of break into this pretty crowded space at this point yeah i mean it's it's a long story but um and you you can uh listen to it i mean if you really want to listen to it the uh, Rotoviz did a podcast about the history of Roto World like four years ago. And you can hear about the history of Matthew Barry, the history of Greg Rosenthal, the history about me, Adam, Chris Wessling, Roto Pat. I mean, the Mike Clay is on there, Jeff Ratcliffe. Um, so it's, you know, a, a lot of, you know, if you really want detail on that. But I would just say, I just busted my ass. Like, I just, I would wake up in the morning. 
I'd maybe, you know, prep, prep myself some coffee, eat some like, you know, eggs and sausage. And then I would work until I went to sleep every day for like 10 years, you know, and that's, that, that's, that's what I, that's what, you know, and, and I, and I got better. And I mean, I'm still not where I want to be from, you know, a, a, a prognostication standpoint, but I got better as a writer. I got better as a podcaster. You know, I got better as I, I got, I got better by, by just busting my ass. I mean, that's the only way to get better. I, I like to use this, this analogy sort of for the people that say, Oh, it's so great to rest your quarterback. Uh, in the first year, you just drafted this quarterback. No, the, the way that you get better is by playing, by, by taking your lumps, by doing things that are stupid, by saying things that are stupid, and then learning from them, you know? And um, I think that that is the, the, the best way to improve. I, and that's one thing I try to teach, like, my daughter. You know, I'm like, what's the, what's the way to get better? Practice. And, um, you know, I think that – I think that that's, that's the best way to, to just improve in almost any aspect of life. It's not to, you can watch other people do, and you know, you can definitely take pointers from that, but you doing yourself and you making mistakes and, or you, you, you know, do something great and you, you know, you figure out why, you know, why did I do that thing? Great. Did I just get lucky or was it my process or, you know, that, that would be my best advice. Hundred percent, yeah. You get, and that's fantastic advice to everyone out there. I'm certainly not in year ten by any means, but at year four or five, it, it is that once you finally get lumped, like it, it. I remember it was I think week three of my first year. We had finally gotten like a, a decent following, still you know not huge by any means, but it was my first time really just getting a bunch wrong, and it was like oh fuck, like I suck. I apologized on air. I felt horrible, and then everybody like that first week was like man, you've crushed it for me. You've been so helpful. Like it just to hear that again, it was so validating and it gives you such a nice boost, but you need it. You need to get it out of the system, get used to failing a little bit and figure out why you failed too. So I love that advice. It goes out for anybody out there that's starting. Just keep doing, keep going, keep going after it. I love that, Evan. So thank you for sharing that insight in terms of your process, in terms of after 10 years of doing this, I don't know if it's evolved, if you've kind of had the same process since day one, but when you approach a new season, do you kind of have any routines, best practices that you follow when you begin and develop your evaluations and rankings? That's a good question. Um, I think that I've, I've just, I've had more free reign since I went from Roto World to um, uh, establish the run. Like I'm just a content creator. I don't have to be in charge of 15 people anymore, you know, and worrying about, you know, what other people do and, you know, worrying if the blurbs are spell checked and you know, all that. And, and so I have had more free reign by far uh, at establish the run. I'm just like a content creator. You know, I don't, there are way smarter business guys in our, in our company and they handle the business side and they're like, you just create content, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so that's, that's made it easy on me. And I think that it it has allowed me to be um, a little bit little bit more um, a little bit more like liberal. I don't know if that's the right term with uh, the way that I like do rankings and um, like I mean I think that we've we've taken the the approach that we're we're not really doing like statistically projected rankings. We are doing our rankings are stances versus ADP. Yeah. And um, because 
we anticipate that so many of our readers are going to be volume drafters. And when I say volume drafter, I mean someone that's not doing two or three leagues, like someone that is probably playing best ball, is probably playing DFS, that might, you know, is probably playing like, I don't know, a couple teams at least on FFPC where you're playing, you know, higher stakes leagues. And I mean, you're drafting a lot of teams. And, you know, you're, 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 you need to take stances on certain players. And that's going to be what determines um, at the end of the day, you know, how you finish at the, at the end of the season. And so um, I think that that is the most transparent and um, satis uh, satisfying way to make rankings is to just take stances against ADP. And, and, and in some instances, like I'm, I'm below ADP on Devin Singletary, okay? But in a recent draft, um, we, uh, I was drafting with uh, Noah Rudell, uh, who is um, a, a pretty smart dude. We, we've drafted a couple years in a row now. Um, he's a, a pretty big, like, uh, higher stakes presence on Twitter. And, you know, we're at the end of the fifth round, and um, we're looking at – and there are, there are still, like, three good receivers left in our, let's say, fifth receiver tier. And there's only one running back left in our uh, uh, fifth running back tier. And it's Devin Singletary. And the receivers are McLaurin, Hilton, and Shark. And we love these receivers, okay? But we, you know, technically, we should take the running back that is the last of his kind in that, in that tier. But we didn't because, you know, we, we have a, a much stronger stance really on, on, on all of these receivers. We're above ADP on all of these three receivers. McLaurin goes ahead, one pick ahead of us. We're like, shit. Um, and then, uh, so that, then we're down to Shark and Hilton. And we were somewhat tempted to go with Shark, but we went with Hilton. Uh, we think he's going to be healthy. You know, he plays indoors where he's just, you know, a phenom indoors. Uh, we think his quarterback situation is going to be significantly upgraded. We take him. He's in his contract year. We take him. We come back. We get Singletary nice. in the early six. We didn't really want Singletary, you know. But, um, you know, so long as we, we had him as high as we did in our tiers and, 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 and on my top 150, like if he was coming back, there was no way we were going to pass on him. And, and that is just kind of like a testament, I think, to our process, it's not going to work out every time. I mean, you get sniped, you know, that, that happens. Like I, I kind of want a McLaurin there over, over Hilton and Charlie. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that that has been um, maybe a way that, that I've, I've evolved. And I, I think it helps with aggressiveness and I think it helps with um, posterity and you end up like getting the guys that you want I mean, big time, but you also end up getting guys that you don't necessarily want if they fall way out of place in ADP, like you're going to catch them. Absolutely. And, and when you're, I, I totally agree with all of that. And we're going to talk about the tiers of Evan a little bit and how they're so important. You just gave us a, a prime example of when you're evaluating, oh, holy shit, this last tier is about to fall off. Even if I don't love this guy, he's in this tier and it makes me realize how good he actually could be. So I, I have to take that jump. So we'll, we'll be diving into yeah. that for it, sure. It would have been awful. I'll tell you what the worst outcome would have been. Yeah. Is it would have taken Singletary in the late fifth, and then it comes and as we look at, at the ninth pick, all right, McLaurin goes, we take Singletary, Hilton and Shark go, and then we got to draft some dude we really don't want. You know, right. we avoided that landmine. 
Absolutely. Yeah, you, you, exactly. You got to get the guy you love first and then you see it, it, totally agree with all that. So when you're forming these stances for your rankings, which I love, like you figure out the guys that you love, what are some of the factors you're weighing in? I mean, obviously there's so many different ones, usage, individual talent, the team and the scheme and all that great stuff. So if you were like making a formula, I guess is the way to put it, what are the way you kind of weigh these different factors to form these stances? Yeah, that's a difficult um, question to answer because mm -hmm. so much on a case by case basis, number one, and number two, the team previews um, really get me to dig into guys that, you know, maybe I hadn't considered as much before, or I, I overrated uh, previously. Um, they just, you know, the, doing the team previews just like, you know, you, because you, you start with like at the top, it, it shows you, you know, the, the, the play caller history. Okay. And then, you know, it goes to like the projected starting lineup. And then really what we're talking, we're, I would say the foundation is usage, uh, usage projections for the, because we, we talk about every single skill position player in on, on every team that is relevant. And so uh, the, yeah, the, the foundation is probably the usage projection, but we're definitely going to mix in some talent takes into the, um, you know, the, the little blurbs on each skill position player. Um, job security, especially when you're playing best ball, if you can find a quarterback who you think has – maybe he's not going to give you 30-point weeks, right? But if he has job security and he's you know, likely to play all 16 games and maybe he has a couple other positive factors working in his favor, like maybe he has a nice schedule or maybe his, uh, his team made a, a nice pass catcher – um, acquisition or hey maybe he looks like he's going to get a lot of volume um, from or maybe he's good at running you know he has a couple of nice factors working in his favor um, and it looks like he's going to be really really cheap I mean Gardner Minshew Teddy Bridgewater those yeah. kind of guys are are definitely in that bucket maybe Joe Burrow this year maybe Cam Newton actually uh, yeah. this year. and um, you know as you as you as you do um you know, more in-depth research into the players, it, I, I always end up making, you know, a, a, a significant number of changes to my rankings. Absolutely. We're, we're going to dive into that too, because I, mean, I love those team previews. If you were going to do nothing else to prepare for your season, if you've missed the entire yeah. offseason, just reading those team previews, I think I'm through like eight out of the 10 that have, or however many have been released. I've been just churning them through. They're all fantastic. As you're saying, it's just so in-depth to get a preview of the surroundings for the player, but then also the talent and what you mm. see as the usage. So if you're looking for that formula, those team previews are absolutely crushing it. So, well, I'm going to ask you a question about those later, which one was the most impactful. So just, just be ready for that one. But in terms of this, you know, as you're studying to, to build those stances as well, there's often this debate analytics versus film. And, and I kind of get the same answer. It's usually often a blend, but do you kind of find yourself leaning one way versus the other as you're studying players analytics versus film? I, I mean, I do enough watching during the season that I don't, I almost, I don't really feel the need to go back and watch a guy anymore because I know that if I do go watch, go back and watch a guy, and I, I have done this in the past, and it actually has fucking burned me more often than not. Um, you're, I'm only going to go back and watch a small sample size. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to go watch 16 games, and actually 16 games is even a small sample size. Um, one season, we see we see guys have you know be one year wonders all the time. So, um, 
I do not go back and watch players. I watch uh, every game uh, during the regular season, and I watch guys coming out of college, and I know their their skill sets, and you know I know where they win and, and where they where they you know where they need improvement coming out of college, and you know then I, then I see them in the pros, and I don't need to go back and watch them during the off season again. I think it's actually much more likely to be misleading. So I use my my I rely on my memory. Um, to uh, you know, from watching players and watching just just knowing where they win. I mean, just knowing their you know their their strengths and their weaknesses for the most part, and then trying to project their usage again, opportunity, and um, things like quarterback to pass catcher, established continuity and connections. Um, I think that that is just incredibly valuable and maybe even undervalued because it doesn't feel like we can quantify it but we really can I mean you know there are certain quarterback and pass catcher combinations that are just unbreakable like Aaron Rodgers will throw to Devontae Adams in double coverage you know um, the on-field chemistry that Russell Wilson and Tyler Lockett have is just unbelievable you know Matt Ryan Julio Jones um, you know and then you see situations like last year where Baker Mayfield and Odell Beckham looks like such the an ideal pairing on paper but they had no chemistry and that's especially I think going to be accentuated in a year like this where there where there is no off season and how many preseason games are we going to get we there's like a legit chance we might get zero preseason right games. um who knows how training camp is going to be so that you know that's yeah that's that's big for me absolutely and in terms of it, whether it's a, a specific stat like passer rating when targeting a guy or, or different things, are there any analytics that you prioritize to kind of illuminate some of these trends you're looking to see or any stats just in general that you're like, I, I always look at this every year while preparing my rankings? Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly. At quarterback, um, touchdown rate, uh, regression to the mean is like, uh, I wouldn't say foolproof, but probably the best metric to look at that that really helped us last year in uh, projecting that Deshaun Watson would outscore Patrick Mahomes and look I realized Patrick Mahomes got hurt a little bit and um, you know Tyreek was out for like a month and, and that and you know that contributed to it but we knew that Mahomes was going to take a significant step back in, in touchdown passing rate and um, and he did I mean he went from like 8.6 to 5.4 and he was still that 5.4 is a great TD rate by the way um, but yeah, we, we, we like Deshaun Watson. We caught, we caught a lot of heat for that. I mean, you know, you either you, apparently you were an idiot if you didn't have Patrick Mahomes as the overall quarterback one entering last year, but um, you know, we, we, we hit that. So at the quarterback position, definitely touchdown rate at the running back position um, receiving usage is, is, is absolutely critical. And I think that even for people that still play in non PPR leagues, I think that this, I mean, are, are there any of those left? But actually, hopefully not. <laughs> hopefully not, right? Um, but even even in non PPR leagues, that that stuff matters more than more than people anticipate because a target is worth so is worth so much more than a carry. Like nineteen carries for seventy one yards is not helping you in fantasy. But you know, five catches for I mean, five catches for thirty one yards is worth what eight point one points in a PPR league and. Um, in a in a in in a PPR league, nineteen freaking carries for seventy one is worth seven point one. You know what I mean? So I think you know, and this is where we're going to differ. I know that you love Raheem Mostert. <laughs> Let's save it. 
Okay. Let's we'll see. save it. Yeah. <laughs> at, the, at the wide receiver position, yards per route run, and you could just read the establish a run draft kit because I talk about that so much. And I would say the same for tight ends, not to the same extent, but um, also just how much are you getting on the field? And um, what are your touchdown opportunities going, going to look like? And that, that's tough to predict. But, um, you know, a guy like Eric Ebron, I think, is pretty interesting this year because in that Steelers offense, and no one wants Eric Ebron. I mean, he's like tight end 22 in ADP, and he could easily score eight or nine touchdowns. Easily. If we get, you know, 80% of Big Ben. So um, touchdown opportunities are very, very big. Uh, especially for trying to parse out the tight ends that are, you know, there, there's an, a, a sort of like an elite tier and then it falls off a cliff and you're just kind of searching for guys after that. And the guys that are going to be in, in position to score a lot of touchdowns, those are the guys that you want at tight end. It's so funny to, to listen to these interviews because I, I asked the same questions and it, there's definitely some trends starting to emerge. Like Scott Barrett comes on, talks about weighted opportunities and running backs and the importance of receptions for the position. And then Pat Fitzmorris comes on yards per route run and how important the efficiency metrics are, especially if somebody might be projected for a bigger role the next year. Justin Boone, the number one ranker of last year, comes on and says touchdowns for, for tight ends is crucial and says Eric Ebron is biggest sleeper because of the fact it, so it's just you start to see big, these big fan Justin Boone big fan uh, he's the man it was an awesome yeah. interview to be able to, to pick his brain too so it is funny Josh to see all these interesting trends that emerge from wolf to wolf because it, and that's what our listeners have to pay attention to if, if you're listening to all these interviews and you keep hearing these same trends you better be writing these down because that's what the, the best of the best are using. I certainly am writing all these notes down as we go. Uh, it, it's so cool to hear those different trends. What about in terms of, we only got a couple more where we're, we're just kind of picking your brain and then we're, we'll dive into some of the player centric stuff that I know a lot of our listeners like, but still I, I find this exercise so valuable in, in terms of tools, whether it's from ETR as well as other, and I will say a lot of the wolves that have come on have shouted out so many different ETR articles and trends and both in season and, and draft guides. You guys have been one of the most uh, shouted out in both an analyst and tools uh, of those two questions, but whether it's ETR or any others in the industry, are there any kind of tools you regularly utilize uh, to, to help you get ready for a season? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think that, I mean, I really just rely on just my always, or, you know, what I'm always trying to keep to be like, like my developing knowledge of the game. Mm -hmm. um, you know, how I anticipate uh, each team performing and how that might affect the players within those teams. Um, and, but as for an actual tool, no, I, 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 don't, I don't really rely on, on an actual tool. Um, yeah, I just try to I – don't, I don't really involve any, any tools in my – what tools do you involve in, in your process? I mean, maybe, maybe if you give me an example of a tool that you use, like maybe, maybe I could come up with one. I, I got you there. I mean, and necessarily not so, so much a tool – as to illustrate like your point of studying whole teams, I love Thorman's pace stuff. Like you can't find that. Oh yeah. 
anywhere else. Like that, that's fantastic stuff. I really like the guys at Rotoviz. I mean, the way they visualize data and there's so many studies and just in life about how, when you can see something, you process it so much faster than reading through. I feel like they've crushed how you can just see all the data, their graphs and their stat explorers, game splits. Those are a few I love personally. Um, to just illustrate what I think I was thinking or helping me realize. No, that, that, that brings to mind some thoughts. Um, I don't think projecting the season, I, I don't think I use any you know, major tools, but during the season, absolutely like Josh Hermsmeyer's uh, air yards, um, by low air yards uh, article, certainly. And also um, sports info solutions uh, last year would send us like reports uh, that would illustrate quarterbacks and wide receivers that were particularly good or bad versus man or zone coverage. And then that was particularly relevant whenever, say, those that quarterback and that wide receiver duo was facing like the Lions who ran man coverage at a very, very high rate, or like the Panthers who ran zone coverage at a very, very high rate. And that's not really something that people talk about a ton yet. Um, and I don't think that it's, you know, hardcore uh, predictive or anything. I, again, I don't think there is any, uh, what do they call it? The, um, the holy grail statistic. I don't think that there is any holy grail statistic. But I do think that a lot of these statistics and metrics are useful at the extremes. like if a running back has a particularly easy schedule, especially early in the season, or if he has a particularly difficult schedule, I don't care about, oh, he has the 17th you know, ranked schedule. Like, I don't care about that. But I do care if he has like the 32nd or the 31st or the 29th, you know, or the first, second, or the fifth easiest. You know, I do care about, care about that. And I do care about like Dak Prescott and Amari Cooper smash man coverage. So when Dak Prescott and Amari Cooper are going up against a defense that plays man coverage like one of the highest rates in the league, then I'm definitely going to care about that and, you know, and, and vice versa. So yeah, sports info solutions is um, an up and coming uh, uh, source for, for data. A few people have actually shouted out your matchups column and, and the in-season package that you guys have and, and that coverage stuff that you really dive into that very few, if anybody else in the industry does. I long read it at Roto World. I long read it now last year. It, it, it's so useful to know that stuff because nobody else really talks about it. And especially when it's like, all right, now this corner's injured and this third string guy is going to be coming on and he's on this receiver who's going to toast him and man yeah all that sure. stuff is is so useful so i'll tell you what people man, have, when, yeah when in, in the in when we did utilize when those when those sis reports like came to us i mean they popped like it was we were all in you know on on certain situations and really really hit big yeah um when that when sis was sending us those reports that indicated that the man zone uh, differentiations uh, were at the extremes. I mean, I, I, I think that that's a little bit of, of a wave of the future. Absolutely. And the last question of picking your brain, and you've already given us a few names here, but are there any other analysts that our listeners, they pro if, if they're following you, they've probably heard of some, some big names too, but are there any guys that they might not know or they know 
and that you just respect, you, you cross your stuff with their work. Any other wolves that you want to shout out before we get into our featured segment here? Um, I, I usually try to avoid this stuff because I always end up leaving someone out that is very much deserving, you know, but um, fuck it. Uh, Rich Rebar is like the best analyst in the fantasy football game. Um, and, you know, I, I, you know, I read every, I mean, and he's like one of my best friends too. So I'm, I, but I don't even think I'm biased. Like, I, I think that he is legit the best fantasy football analyst in the game. Um, you know, Pat Thorman, um, certainly Adam. Um, I, I love the hire of uh, Pat Corain uh, for Dynasty that, that we made. I, I've, I mean, reading his stuff, like, and, and I, I've like hung out with him in, in real life, like partied with him on uh, Tybee Island with Chris Westling, him and his brother, uh, Mike has a, I'm sorry, Pat has a brother named Mike. Uh, and they were both there. We went and hung out with uh, Chris Westling on Tybee Island, which is just a wild, wild place. And um, uh, he, he's been an amazing hire. I mean, I, I really could go on and on, but those, those would be several guys, you know, that, that would stick out to me. I mean, J.J. Zacharyson, you know, the, the guys that – the thing is that our industry is very, very, very merit-based. Like, guys that, that aren't good or that don't work hard – they do not rise. You know, they, they plateau and they fall off. And the people that are good and do work hard, they rise. I mean, it's very, very much a merit-based um, industry. It's not yet to the point where, and I feel like every industry ultimately gets sucked in by like cronyism and, um, um, you know, just what matters is who you know as opposed to what you know, you know, that, that old saying. And I feel like every, but we're not, we're very far from that. And um, I, I think that that's one thing that's kind of refreshing about our industry. hundred percent. And similar to the stats, you're hearing these common names that just keep popping up from every wolf that we've had on the show so far. And, and that's going to come on in the future. We keep hearing JJ, we keep hearing Rich, we, uh, Thorman's Pace, all these guys. And Pat, create a great name to shout out to. I've only recently discovered him through getting your guys draft guide and, I've been diving into all his stuff so well written and, and just a really, and then I've been starting to, he has that podcast with Overzet, those guys doing that. Those two are great together. So a really good name, an up and comer that I've very much enjoyed so much. So make sure you guys check out all those names. Um, at this point, we are going to now move into that feature segment where we're going to cross check my top 50, some of our disagreements. So you guys can hear the takes on guys that I've either been low or high on that Evan doesn't agree with, because that's just, again, the most valuable isn't just us sitting and saying we both love Carson Wentz and his new weapons and he's going to throw for 5,000 yards. Yeah, we love him, but it's more valuable for you guys to hear, okay, this is why Juju could actually be really good. So maybe you should ignore the wolf when he's low on him. Uh, I love that. We're also going to just before that give you a little sampling of some stuff that you can find in this draft guide. And I just got to reiterate with that $25 coupon, it's 30 bucks, but you get that coupon. So you're essentially getting $5 and it's just robbery at that point. Like I don't get how anybody in the fantasy game doesn't just buy this with so much good analysis from some of the biggest. And, 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 and it's going to get you started into playing fantasy, like seriously. I mean, yeah. you know, once you first, once you first take that, that first, you know, crack hit off of uh, FFPC, you know, playing like a $350 league, 
You never go back. Big time, fellas and, and, mm-hmm. and ladies. Like, you know, let's, let's, let's roll. Let's, let's play fantasy seriously. You know, set aside a budget every year. You know, maybe, maybe it's 1000 bucks. Maybe it's 500 Maybe it's, you know, 150 I mean, it should be more than that because the, the cost of the ETR in-season package is more than that. But, um, you know, like, let's, let's start playing. For, this is fun. You know, this is like a legit, really fun hobby. It distracts us from the things that suck in life. And um, we love to do it or else you wouldn't be here. You certainly wouldn't be listening to this podcast. You wouldn't be listening to the ETR podcast if you, if, if you didn't love it. So exactly. let's, let's take it seriously, man. And, you know, let's, let's try to win. I mean, and let's try to get a big win. Like you can carry that through the rest of your life. You get some big win, even if it's fifth place, like that's badass, you know, in, in like a big tournament, um, like FFPC football guys, uh, championship $350 buy-in or, or the big sucker, the um, $1,850 main event uh, entry. I played two entries last year. We made the playoffs in both of them and wound up making like, I don't know, 5,000 bucks in profit. Um, we did not have a big win just because our teams just like everyone got hurt all of a sudden and we, we could barely even field a roster. The only guy that was good for us at the end of the year was Tyler Higby. Uh, the rest of the guys of our guys were just absolute bums, but, um, it was so fun. I mean, there's no way I would take that back, even though, you know, we, I mean, we had, we were like top five in overall scoring for 10 weeks and we just petered out. But it was so fun. I would not take that back for the world. I mean, that, that is, that's a, a true, true sweat. Absolutely. I, and that's what's so great about the industry is, yes, it's amazing to have your 12 friends since high school that you, you manage those rivalries and you keep proving your superiority over them. It's a blast. I love it. And it's great to have that. But, I mean, you can have life-changing money come to you, whether it's through DFS, whether it's through FPPC. Like there's, it's evolved in such a crazy way that you can truly like have a humongous day. And even as you said, like you only cashed out at 5K, like that's that's still some great money. The rush to get there too, like it's it's evolved. And and these dudes that you know, I've I've done the league with. um, We you know, I have like co uh, co owners, and I mean like they're like my best friends. You know what I mean? Like I like made better, you know, I mean, they're not my actual best friends, but they they become like pretty good, really good friends because we did this. And, you know, we have this text thread and we're texting all the time about it. We have conference calls and, you know, I mean, it's, it's just like good for the soul. Absolutely. Yeah. That's the the other side of everything too is, and that's what I've loved just since getting into I mean, the fact that you're even on this podcast, like, I'm tiny compared to you, but just like reaching out to everybody, they're so welcoming. They're so willing to, to talk fantasy because it's just, it is such a great game. So it's an awesome community. And that's why I I, is beyond just loving the game and and always being a guy that's been addicted to fantasy. Now that I've finally gotten involved, been able to talk with some of these giants that I've loved reading and just realizing how great humans you guys are is it's awesome. It it, is such a great thing. Um, so, so I'm thrilled and, and anybody listening, to this is obviously into fantasy. So keep diving in cause it's, it's only getting bigger. It is such a awesome industry. So, so keep it riding. Um, in terms of the draft guide, I mean, there's the articles that you have out so far all have been fantastic as we previewed already the team previews 
are amazing. I, I think worth the price of admission alone uh, right there because you just hear the takes on every relevant fantasy player. You get the sense of their talent, of their usage, but even more so the, the surroundings, the team and scheme around them. Uh, and, and Evan, you present it such a digestible way. It, it, it's unbelievable. So if all the team previews you've done, you've kind of, you hinted at it at the top that there are some times you've dug into a team and been like, man, I got to adjust my rankings because I didn't realize this. Is there one or two teams that, that really shocked you for a particular player or team? Um, for a full team, I would say, I would lean no. Although the Packers, actually the Broncos. Um, yeah, now I'm going to name like four teams. <laughs> Broncos, yeah, the Broncos, I went into them pretty optimistic and came out not optimistic. And I actually lowered a bunch of guys uh, when I, after I did the Broncos. Because, again, going back to that theme of trying to bet on continuity in a year like this with no practice. And, again, shit, we started off the whole podcast talking about how much we thought that uh, practice, you know, is, is important. I mean, anyone who has played competitive team sports knows that practice is important, unless you're Allen Iverson. If you're Allen Iverson, you don't need to fucking <laughs> practice, okay? But most people need to practice. <laughs> and... Um, we have a quarterback on the Broncos who has started five career games. We have a new offensive coordinator. We have a new quarterbacks coach. We have a new number two and three receivers. We have um, a pretty remade offensive line. And we have a second year tight end who, hey, I know a fan might be, might be dope. Um, I, I really could see he has a really high ceiling. He would be a guy that I would be trying to acquire in Dynasty while he's still reasonable. But um, we have a lot of a lot of youth, and I think that this is probably not the right year for the Broncos to come together and be um, successful. Although their defense is, um, I mean, they might be like better than expected in terms of like win loss because their defense could be really good. And I, I like Vic Fangio as a head coach, but. In terms of being like a truly, you know, hitting their ceiling offensively, I think we're a year away from that. Um, the Bears. So the Bears didn't change my mind, but going through and just looking at Allen Robinson's career and recent accomplishments uh, in light of his just, just dreadful quarterback play throughout his career, both in college and the pros, because he's caught, he caught almost all of his passes at Penn State from Matt McGloin and Christian Hackenberger. And he's caught almost all of his NFL passes from Mitchell Trubisky and Blake Bortles. And looking at what he's been able to do in spite of that and how he caught 98 balls last year, which was seventh in the NFL, and was, you know, he was third in the NFL in targets. And um, the Bears, like, I think they're even worse in the pass catcher core. And Nick Foles might be the best quarterback of his career. Now, it gives me pause about Allen Robinson that there is not that established quarterback to receiver chemistry yeah. that that does give me pause and also that hey the Bears are dumb enough that they could start the season with Mitchell Trubisky and then they just change in season and Nick Foles and they change back to Trubisky I mean they're a really poorly run from a decision-making standpoint really poorly run uh, organization and that scares me a little bit about Allen Robinson but at the end of the day like 
this dude caught 98 passes last year from Mitchell Trubisky, and he's at and he's in his prime. He's 27 years old. You know, he's at peak wide receiver age. He's in a contract year. He's really freaking good. We know this. Um, and his target competition is like like I think he might lead the NFL in catches. And the you know the more that I dug into, you know, uh, the the positives of his outlook, and not focusing on what most people focus on. Oh, his quarterback is either going to be Trubisky or Foles. You know, not and 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 understanding that that is true, but also understanding that there are so many other factors working in his favor. Um, I actually moved Allen Robinson from wide receiver 14 to wide receiver six. Uh, he became a guy that went from, if you're using our rankings to draft, you're probably not going to get him. to you're fucking getting him like almost every draft now. And you're like the, the third or fourth guy I've had on that keeps bringing up Allen Robinson. So he's one of the ones I've gone back and reevaluated. And I, I can't find really too many holes in these arguments. It's like, yeah, I, his quarterbacks might suck, but they've always sucked and he keeps getting it done. So that's one of the guys I find myself going back on and, and still needing to reevaluate. I, I bumped him up from similar to you. I think he was like 15 or so in my rankings to like 11. And now here you have him at six. I might have to go back in and, and look again, you know? I mean, at the end of the day, the reason that I was okay moving to six was because I just think that everyone from like six all the receivers from like six to 12 are like almost they're all really good picks yeah um but I, I think 11 like your people are going to get him at 11 uh you know a decent amount so you just I just I wanted to make sure that he was in a spot where our people are going to get him because yeah. um we want him this year we, we want Allen Robinson on our team this year and um you know, at the end of the day, like that's what people need and that's what they want. You know, that they they want to be on our guys. And Allen Robinson is going to be our guy. He's gonna be he was our guy last year too. We had him as the number one um player to target in both redraft and dynasty and just all forms of fantasy. Just put him on, try to get him as much as you can. And uh I mean he absolutely delivered and we're we're doubling down. And deservedly so. The, the next article I want to dive into, and I love this concept, is the sneaky stacks. And, and anyone listening to this outside my mom, hello, mom, is likely aware of what stacking means. You have the quarterback and then another weapon from the same team. So you get that kind of double whammy when they score. Most often a receiver, sometimes a tight end or a running back in one of those teams that likes to target the backfield here. Uh, Well-established in DFS, but now you're kind of advising people to stack in season long formats as well. What, why is that? What's the, what's the growing popularity in stacking here? That's a great question. And there are actually, I think a number of interesting answers. So one high, super high end stack, and it might be the freaking optimal stack is you, you say you're drafting at 1.11. And you start off with Tyreek Hill at, at 1.11. You come back and it's what, 3 point, or no, 2.2? It comes back to you and you take Kelsey. You come back in the third round and you're in a league where, you know, people are not drafting quarterbacks early and you, you start, you get Mahomes. So in DFS, let, let's just say in DFS, if you could have Mahomes, Kelsey, and Tyreek on your roster every single week in DFS, I mean, you, I guarantee you you're greening at, at the end of the year. Yeah, right. And, and you might have some, some monster wins. Yeah. 
know, and you can maybe come back with Damian Williams in the eighth or ninth round, or, um, you know, you're probably not getting CEH, but, um, you know, maybe you take Watkins in the 12th, or, you know, if, you, if you're a Hardman person, I'm not, but I, I, I get it because I, I love McCole Hardman, you know, theoretically. You know, you, you, you could take him later. I mean, you know, that's, that's a team stack that has some serious freaking juice. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum would be like stacking. Um, what's like a, a lower end offense that might explode? I mean, I kind of thought. It's kind of like your sneaky stacks, right? That's kind of what you're exploring there. Yeah, yeah. But I, I wrote that like offenses. two months ago. I wrote that like yeah. two months ago. So I'm trying. It was to a great piece. You had six teams. Yeah. I mean, I liked the one I liked the most. Oh, I, I did it the- last year, and we had like the Ravens. We had the yeah. 49ers. We had the Bucks. I mean, just hit it out of the park, you know. Um, so I'm trying to do that again, but no, go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I liked, per, yeah, you guys knocked the, the home run. I really liked, I believe the giants were one of your teams because yeah. 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 Like you could pick your favorite, but that was my personal favorite of your, your six sneaky stacks for sure. Actually, I think the Broncos who were just dogged on were, were like number <laughs> 16 too. Um, yeah. I might, might need to pull them out, but um, yeah, I mean the idea of all right. Let's just say all right. Let's say we agree on the Giants, who I've, I've sort of soured on since since I wrote the article, and, and that that has been outlined in our in our podcast and um, in some of the articles since. But um, let's say we're we're still on the on the Giants, or no, let's use the Lions because I still believe in them. Okay. Oh yeah. So the Lions as a sneaky stack. There, this is like almost the opposite of of a team's stack, like like the Chiefs, the Chiefs are not a sneaky team, team stack, although that sort of start, I think, is a little bit sneaky. Like, if you can pull that off, you are yeah. – I mean, it, and it's realistic to pull off. I mean, it's not crazy to pull off. Uh, but let's say the, right, so the Lions are really the, the true definition of a, of a sneaky stack because Stafford goes in the 11th round and he, you know, was off to a tremendous start in his first eight games last year. Um, you know, he plays indoors, uh, this performance under, uh, this would be the second year of Daryl Bevel. They have some continuity there. Uh, Marvin Jones is back healthy. TJ Hawkinson's back healthy. You know, Kenny Galladay. I mean, you could come out of the third round with Galladay. You could come out of the sixth round with DeAndre Swift. You get Marvin Jones in the eighth and you get Stafford in the 11th. And, you know, I don't know, maybe you can mix in Hawkinson too. I actually think that Hawkinson, like, growing belief that he's a critical part of this sneaky stack um but i mean you could and and all those guys are priced affordably they can all smash their adps really really outscore their adps and if this offense goes off and finishes finishes like top five in scoring um you just bought like you know you you bought something at a like a severe discount that uh just appreciated in value tremendously and then you know obviously you have all your other picks that you made. And if you drafted well there, I mean, you're putting together a, a super team. A hundred percent. Yeah. The, the, I didn't, I forgot completely about the lines, probably my favorite pick. Now that you brought them up, just reading from your article here, they were averaging before Stafford went down 25 and a half points, 391.3 yards per game, which goes eighth and fourth in the league. If that went on in Stafford himself, 106 passer rating yards per attempt were 9.1 yards per completion 13 that's insane 13.4 six and a half percent touchdown he had rate. the highest average depth of target in the nfl like they were chucking it downfield mm-hmm. when you think back you know you remember jim bob cooter used to get a lot of praise he had 
freaking Stafford, like the, the offense was centered around with Theo Riddick and Golden Tate, a slot receiver and a running back. That was their passing game. And then Bevel comes in and is like, no, 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 no. Man, we have like the strongest arm quarterback in the league. And he's going to be throwing the ball downfield to freaking Galladay and Marvin Jones and, you know, Hawkinson sometimes. Um, but, you know, like Daryl Bevel just used common sense to be able to put together, you know, a, 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 what was a prolific offense for the first half of the year. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. And all it, as you, the part of it being sneaky is it, it comes at cost with all those stats, but you know, a top eight to top, even five potential offense that you're getting that cheaply. Even if you miss on Galladay, cause he just doesn't fall to where you're at. You, you, everybody has a shot at Marvin Jones, which his stats are right along base. Like, with- like, 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 like Stafford, Marvin Jones and Hawkinson would be a fine line stat. That's one, Absolutely. one thing that we, when you're talking about team stacking, you don't want to stack too many. Um, when you go back and look at it, it's usually three or four, maybe five, but usually three or four, three or four dudes on the same team. Yeah. And I mean, and yeah, you, you don't, you don't have to, you don't have to reach on Galladay. We, we have Galladay actually below uh, consensus right now. We have Marvin Jones way, way above consensus. We have Hawkinson right around. We have Stafford above. Um, I can't remember where we are on Swift, but uh, yeah, I th- three to four is the sweet spot. A hundred percent. And the Marvin Jones love is, is a huge one. I'm totally on board with when you look at his last 16 as compared to Kenny Galladay's it, they're almost neck and neck. The guy's a touchdown machine. So that's an unbelievable stack that you can get for cheap. If you miss out on something like the chiefs, uh, I love that call there. And the last article before we dive into your 150 that I, I love, and we, we previewed kind of towards the top is the importance of tears and the tears of Evan, uh, which are, uh, amazing is there a particular tier uh, and I, again i love how you label them too that it's one thing to like have a tier but then for you to go out and be like these are the rb2 picks with rb1 upside versus the next tier four probable lead backs but they have some red light flags like, a lot of people do tiers but you actually tell us why is this a tier together and, and it's fantastic i love to see it that way is there a single tier that you're looking at that's just like damn this is the hardest single tier to ever organize and rank, I have to keep going back to it. I, I don't know how this tier is going to shake out, or do you, you kind of feel solid in all your tiers? You little mute. You're muted. <laughs> all right, yo, we, I got to take a break because I got I got to piss. But oh, uh, go for it. <laughs> all this fucking Pacifico, but uh, <laughs> but um, that is something that I would really need to think about, and why I probably should have read the show sheet before, but. Again, <laughs> I couldn't because my life is in shambles, shambles right now. But uh, let me let me go to the bathroom. And I I'll shall pause. <laughs> I'll, I'll sort of think of a way to um, to answer that. Let me know what truth comes to you while you're pissing. <laughs> All right, I'll be back in one second. We are both back because neither of us have the uh, iron bladder of Scott Hansen over here. Uh, we both had to take our, our pause at a bathroom break, and we're gonna. It, the, Does Scott the tears question. Not take bathroom breaks. Never. No, he, I had him actually on the podcast uh, about a month ago, and I asked him about that. He literally six, seven, whatever, seven hours of commercial-free football. He never, never leaves. Insane. Oh, my God. 
That is, I mean, I hope he doesn't develop like an infection or something. <laughs> right? An absolute savage. And he says he's actually, he names his fantasy football teams the Iron Bladder because of <laughs> his ability to hold it for an entire seven hours, which is just insane. Uh, That's fantastic. Exactly. But we're going uh, to jump past the tiers question. Again, it's, it's such a tough question because like, all the tiers are, are tough to sift through. It's not like a single one has given us headaches. We're all always trying to work through the tiers, and they're always difficult. We're going to just jump right into the top 150 cross-check where we have some of the biggest differences. I do want to highlight the fact, and I love this about it. I don't know if you guys did this last year. I think this is a new feature where you're kind of logging your updates as you go. I mean, that's awesome to just see those value swings and whatnot as you're going. Is there a particular player you're like, this guy swung a ton most recently or, or just in the entire offseason so far? Yeah, Alan Robinson. Yeah. <laughs> and we have the why there already. Uh, and, and Cam Newton. I mean, Cam Newton was in the 30s. Now he's quarterback 17. You know, I, got, I have him above Aaron Rodgers. Um, Love it. I, I mean, I have Cam above Rodgers too. I, that's, that's good yeah. to know. And, and, and that's what I want to highlight as we're diving into this. It's going to seem like we disagree on a lot because I want to pull the ones that we're differing on. So again, mm -hmm. my listeners can get that, that extra perspective on mm -hmm. from a true wolf as yourself. But man, when I was cross-checking our rankings, like there were so many of the bolder ones that, that me and you were in agreement on, which just kind of right. validated a lot of my rankings, which, which I felt great about. Um, but again, th this, this exercise is to see who we're different on so our listeners can get those differing takes. And we'll start at quarterback. Uh, the, the one I, and, I, and it's not that I don't like this guy, but Josh Allen, quarterback four, is pretty damn bold, especially over Kyler Murray, who everybody keeps saying is the next Mahomes, the next Lamar Jackson, who you have at quarterback seven. So What's the case for Allen, and, and why a little bit lower on Kyler? Um, I think there is a sort of, um, sort of built-in bias amongst the fantasy community, which very much um, overlaps with the uh, data community um, against Josh Allen because they didn't like him coming out of college. And, uh, I mean, I, I didn't particularly like him coming out of college. And I am very aware of his flaws as a real life player. Uh, but one thing that I think that he did not do at Wyoming that he has done prolifically in the NFL is run the football. And I mean, he leads all quarterbacks in rushing touchdowns over the yeah. past few years. I mean, I think he could score 15 rushing touchdowns this year. I mean, I think that that's within his range of potential outcomes. Um, he's a bully with the ball in his hands. Um, and that is, you know, as, as Rich Rebar has pointed out, as Greg Rosenthal pointed out back in the day, I remember when Greg Rosenthal a long time ago started writing about, writing about the value of, of, of uh, quarterbacks that run the football. And Josh Allen is a prolific runner of the football. Now, he obviously has flaws as a passer, particularly as a deep passer. And that's why it was brilliant and analytically so sound of the Bills to bring in the best deep ball receiver in the league to uh, help surround Josh Allen with players that can help elevate the play of Josh Allen from, you know, from the perimeter. And we saw him take a big leap last year when the Bills went out of their way. They added like 10 offensive linemen last year. Like they just overdid their entire offensive line through both the draft and free agency. Uh, they uh, you know, overdid their uh, 
uh, or made over, I think is the better term, made over. They made over their receiver core with John Brown and uh, Cole Beasley, and they drafted, you know, they signed Tyler Croft. He didn't work out, but they drafted Dawson Knox in the third round. I think, relatively speaking, he worked out. Um, so they have built their, their offense very, very analytically um, from the standpoint that they understand the weaknesses of the centerpiece of their offense. And they have brought in players that are capable of elevating the weaknesses of that, of that, of, you know, of the deficiencies of Josh Allen. So I really like the way that the Bills have built, have built. I like the fact that they're going to have a good defense and they're going to have, they're going to be a good field position team. I love that they're well coached in a year where I'm trying to emphasize continuity into my projections, into my analysis, they're bringing back Brian Dayball. They're bringing back John Brown. Really, the only, all they did was they pulled out Duke Williams and Robert, uh, Australian for Sex Foster, and Isaiah McKenzie, and inserted Stephon Diggs. And otherwise, they have like almost complete continuity on offense from the coaching staff to offensive personnel. They're going to be good. Again, I mean, I think they're going to go like 11 and 5, 12 and 4. Um, and I, and you know, if you remember like Cam Newton, um, who was a player, I, I don't think that Josh Allen is, is as good as Cam Newton was in his prime, but that's where they, they come up with this concept of Josh Allen because Brandon Bean was in the Panthers front office because Sean McDermott was the Panthers defensive coordinator. Um, and so that's what they're trying to build towards. And I don't think it's going to be as, as successful as Cam Newton was because, I mean, the dude has been like a top three fantasy quarterback like five times or something like that. But Josh Allen was the quarterback six last year, and he was the quarterback one his final six games as a rookie. He's really, really good at fantasy football. And um, I, I think that the hype train is a little bit too high on Kyler Murray and way, 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 way too low on Josh Allen. I think all very interesting and fair points. I mean, I love the idea of them building around his weaknesses and, and Stefan Diggs, surely uh, any analytics that you have uh, can totally justify this guy led in PFFs deep, you know, passer rating when targeted, it led in yards per reception, deep touchdowns. I mean, it's, it's not that Josh Allen can't throw deep. In fact, that was kind of his calling card. He's got a cannon arm. But can you get well, the this guys is, this around? is what you do with, 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 you know, with deep ball passers. I mean, you make the, you make, you want them to be the Frisbee thrower and you want John Brown and Stefan Diggs to be the little doggies going and chasing the Frisbee <laughs> and going and get it, you know? And, and, and I mean, I, they've made smart signings, man. I mean, John Brown and Stefan Diggs. I mean, that's dope, dude. Like people, why do people not talk about that? Like that's, that's, that is a dope perimeter receiver pairing and they also use uh, uh john brown in the slot quite a bit where he's way too fast and i mean i actually think that john brown is going to lead the bills in receiving i think that the um 100%. yeah that, that's one of my hot takes for this year um that john brown is actually going to lead the bills in receiving and his adp is like wide receiver 42 or some crap like that i mean he's he's a guy that we should be getting on all our teams I, I totally agreement. That's actually what I was going to, my next take was going to be in addition to this was like, yeah, I love Diggs. I mean, one of the best players, but when you're now getting Josh, jo, uh, John Brown, who was 
defeating number one corners quite regularly last year, had a huge season, and you're going to put him probably on the, the secondary coverage. Like, he is going to absolutely destroy that. So I love that call. You're right. I mean, picturing these guys just streaking down the field together, the dogs chasing the Frisbee. TJ Hernandez, another great analyst, has been pumping out articles about why Josh Allen's the next Lamar Jackson. He put up Harmon's like reception, Matt Harmon, if anybody doesn't know him, you guys got to know him, his reception perception. And, and he showed just like how ridiculous of a receiving core that J- Josh Allen's now equipped, especially down the field. So mm, I get it. Yeah. I, I get that. You know, it, Harman, there is, Harman has been a long time proponent of John Brown and Stefan Diggs and TJ Hernandez is like not even low key. One of the sharpest dudes that there is. So, I mean, you're right. There is a drumbeat there that, that has to be listened to. So, so maybe we got to start adjusting that. My, my one thing with Kyler Murray is I, I'm really hoping that year two of the air raid, I mean, and reading your article, they were only 22nd in plays and stuff. That's not the air raid. When you look at Kingsbury in college, it was pushing the pace. It was getting downfield aggressive. Maybe, I don't know if that was Mahomes and we're just kind of extrapolating for Kingsbury having the greatest quarterback of all time on him. But man, like in college, we didn't see that air raid quite yet. And I'm hoping that DeAndre Hopkins is that missing link who we're going to talk about in a second because I know you're a little bit lower on Hopkins than than some other guys. But yeah, I I get the Allen case and I think I, I might be a little too low. I have him right around QB8. But man, like after reading, and that was before reading Hernandez's piece, before chatting with you. I think I might be a little low. It doesn't make sense necessarily in the, the Scott Fishbowl settings. If there's heavy penalties to turnovers and fumbles and things like that, that obviously impacts it. But most leagues, it's not nearly as penalized as, as certain leagues like that. So, yeah, I, I get it. Uh, the Josh Allen love is something I have to pay attention to. Uh, the, the other quarterback I did have a question on is Drew Brees, quarterback 18. I mean, man, this is a guy who – has, you know, never been below the, the top 12 quarterbacks in fantasy points per game since going to the States other than one year. So, I mean, uh, 11 out of since joining that team, it's, it's been top 10, 13 out of 14 seasons at fantasy points per game, 92% of the time. Uh, they, him and Sean Payton have obviously been just this beautiful marriage. And even last year, he missed a bunch of the season. And even still in only 10 games, seven of those were top 12 quarterback weeks. He was fifth in touchdowns in only 10 games, 2.7 touchdowns per game. I mean, that's a 43 touchdown pace. They signed Manny Thomas, who to me is a perfect fit for what this team does. He did all that without a clear number two. I don't know. I'm still buying that one last great year from Drew Brees. Obviously, you're not at quarterback 18. So what has you so down on this guy? Well, I'll tell you what, fantasy football, you know, is supposed to be fun. And, you know, what's not fun is when your quarterback drives his team down into the red zone and they pull him off the field or they put him at wide risk. And another quarterback comes in and he takes the touchdown. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I mean, that's, you know, that's only going to happen, I don't know what, seven times out of the year, although that's seven bad tilts. And then, uh, I mean, they paid Taysom Hill like good money. And they also went and got Jameis Winston. And they have one of the most talented teams in the league. Uh, They have a very, very talented defense. They uh, have an unbelievable offensive line that where they can like pound the ball down their, down their throats whenever they want. So 
there are actually a lot of factors working against Drew Brees. Um, he doesn't add value with his legs, you know, and I, I think that a lot of these, a lot of these quarterbacks that, that were great for so long um, as pocket passers, you know, they're, they're sort of, they're, you know, they're, they're being phased out a little bit. And I think that Drew Brees to some extent is that I think he's going to have a good season in real life. I do not want Drew Brees on my fantasy team. Um, I would like him a lot better if I could get Drew Brees and Taysom Hill's fantasy points together when I draft Drew Brees, but that's not an option. Yeah, team quarterback, uh, unfortunately, is not the uh, the play we have there. Um, so, yeah, so some factors going against him. I, I, I see that. But, man, I don't know, just such a historically consistent guy. And I, I do think Manny Thomas will bring that uh, – uh, Manny Sanders, rather. Manny, Manny Sanders could bring that offense back to the days where they were just uh, unstoppable moving down the field. But we've also – you're right in the sense that we have seen Sean Payton trying to move to a run heavier thing to protect Drew Brees at age 41. There's certainly some deficiencies there. So when they've won – when they won the Super Bowl even, it was a run heavier base Saints team. And these last couple of years with Ingram and Kamara, we've seen that. So we might even see that heavier leaned into. So I get that case too. Moving on to running back, I mean, I only had one because we were just scary aligned on our running back rankings. There's really only one big difference is – you're a lot higher on David Montgomery than I am running back 21. And I'm a lot higher on Raheem Mostert than you are. And you already kind of hinted at that. So I knew that you knew it was coming. I knew it was coming, but what's your kind of case for David Montgomery? Cause I'm not really seeing it after last year. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I don't, I don't want to be super high on David Montgomery. <laughs> I, I don't think that I am actually, but I, I'm higher on him than you. Um, but that might just be a good take by you. Um, if the Bears offensive line plays like it did in 2018 and not 2019 when we, and it was like the same offensive line which is crazy although they they had uh, white hair and um, James Daniels switched at center and guard and then they switched it back during the season last year because it was such a disaster and Kyle Long was a disaster and um, but if the, if the offensive line plays a little bit better uh, more like 2018, and I think that he'll be a little bit more efficient. I, I think he's a good back. The, the, I re, you know I remember distinctly. I watched a ton of David Montgomery coming out of Ohio State. I've never seen a running back get on to the second level as often as he did, but then get fucking run down from behind as often as he did because he just he had no breakaway speed, you know. And I think that showed up at the combine where he ran like four six three or something like that. Yeah. So. Um, the, the lack of big playability is a concern. Uh, Tariq Cohen is a concern, but Tariq Cohen was horrible last year. I mean, one of the worst offensive skill position players in all of football last year. And you would think that uh, there would be more of an emphasis on getting the ball into D David Montgomery as a pass catcher. We get him out, get him out, get him a little space, you know, like not slamming him by, you know, between the guards. Get him out, get him in a little bit of space. And that's where his tackle-breaking ability that was so strong at Iowa State that allowed him to get onto the second level so often uh, could come back into play. It's a little bit of wishful thinking. It's a little bit of – I mean, their offense just almost can't be worse than it was last year. It's a little bit of – aside from Tariq Cohen, who, again, was terrible last year, he has no competition for – touches. I mean, he, he has like incredible job security for a guy who averaged like 3.6 yards per carry. 
you know, as a rookie. Um, so it's a, it's like a, it's a safe play that is not super sexy, but you know, I think that he's going to end up getting you, I don't know, you know, 11 to 13 points a game. Some people like that. Some people don't, you know, when I'm on the clock and I see, Oh, it's David Montgomery for the, versus this other guy. Like I'm usually taking the other guy. Yeah. But I, I have taken David Montgomery a couple of times but it has been – it was usually, like, really when I first started drafting and then I was, like, the, the, the running back thirst that happens in the first four rounds just forced me to take him, like, in the sixth, you know. Um, but, no, he's, he's not – I may end up moving him down. I, I'm doing a full pass through uh, this weekend, and, you know, I'm starting to talk myself out of him here. <laughs> yeah, it, it, the one thing I, I found interesting when talking to Graham Barfield uh, about a, a month or two ago was – the difference between tackle breaking, which he excelled at, and then yards created, one of my, my favorite stats. Uh, there's so many analytics, but that's what I, I do lean into. And Montgomery was not, despite breaking all these tackles, for the exact reason you just said, getting caught from behind, not really ripping these big plays. Yeah, he could break the, the tackles, but he wasn't really ever doing anything after he broke them right, and right. at the at the nfl level you know when you're running into these bigger stronger guys and you're not breaking quite as many tackles to me he just didn't stand out as much more than your standard plotter guy that i, I wasn't blown away at all in turn and i don't love how he's used as you said forced up the guards i don't know if the offense takes a big step and he scores a lot more touchdowns i could be dead wrong they certainly didn't make any moves Tariq cohen was even worse than leonard fournette in terms of receiving efficiency somehow like out of 54 backs in the last 10 years he was like the lowest of them all so i, I get there is volume there i i, I like your take on Allen robinson far more in this offense just kind of airing it out because they just don't have a ton coming from the backfield more than I like Montgomery. It seems like you're not even like that. You're not sitting here like, oh, I need Montgomery. So you don't have a strong stance on him, but you do have a strong stance on I'm not taking Raheem Mostert no matter what it seems yeah. like. Yeah. What's your take against against the uh, the Mostert man that kind of lit it up at the end of last year? I, um, you know, I, I think it's a donkey pick, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, I mean, not that you're a donkey. I mean, I, I've, I've taken my, myself, I've removed myself from the situation and been like, am I wrong here? Because there are smart people that like him. You like him. You're a smart dude. Sigmund Bloom likes him. And, and you know, he's someone that I certainly respect. Um, you know, there, and there are other smart people that I know who, that like Raheem Mostert. He's just, I mean, the, his, everything that he brings to the table, and I'm a huge Raheem Mostert guy. He made me thousands of dollars in preseason DFS in like 2015 or something. I mean, he was the reason that I started to love preseason DFS. I remember there was one week where, oh, he was on the Eagles at the time. And it, uh, all the other Eagles running backs were hurt. And me and Levitan were like, yo, Raheem Mostert is about to get 22 touches in this preseason game. And we put him on every single team and he went nuts. And I mean, you know, he had like 150 yards and two touchdowns. I don't know. Those stats are probably not factual, but it, it felt like that. I mean, no one really has that many yards and touchdowns in a preseason game, but um, it felt like that. You know, it's just true, true degenerate stat. I love it too, by the way. Just like the, 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 the 
to preseason DFS is just like yeah. that next level of like fantasy addiction, which I absolutely love. By I mean, every way. time, like on, dra- on DraftKings, like every time he would get like a, a catch for seven yards, your winnings would go up by like, you know, $600. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, so, um, I mean, I love Raheem Mostert. We, we researched, we researched him. We were like, who, you know, who is this scrub? And, you know, he had been undrafted, but he was a track star at Purdue uh and he was like the number two spark athlete running back behind i don't know david johnson or something in in his draft I, all, all of this is, is wrong because i'm doing this off my head but you you know what i'm saying like we researched him he was athletic he had you know he was a, a track star um he was productive enough that we were like it's kind of surprising that he actually didn't get drafted and then we were like yo he's gonna get 22 touches in this game he got like 28 and, you know, just absolutely ripped the cover off. And we won everything that week in, in preseason DFS. And I think he did it again that same preseason or something similar. Um, so I love Raheem Mostert. But this is not a good – I don't think this is a good fantasy situation. Um, uh, you know, I think it's going to be running back by committee. Um, I mean, all last year when Tevin Coleman was healthy, which was rare, he played ahead of Raheem Mostert. Um, Raheem Mostert in eight games as the 49ers lead back. He had an eight-game run of you know as, as the 49ers lead back, and it was the last five games of the regular season and the three playoff games. And he, um, I think he had like 13 targets in, in those eight games. And I'm never gonna be on the I'm never gonna be on, on the side unless it's Derrick Henry. I mean, are we thinking that Raheem Mostert is gonna be Derrick Henry? Because because that's what you sort of need for him to really, really hit. I mean, I guess he could sort of pay dividends as the RB 26 or whatever, 23 or whatever his ADP is right now. But it's going to be hard with Tevin Coleman there. I think that Jeffrey Wilson showed some ability to make plays. This UDFA, Jamichael Hasty is like the perfect Shanahan-type guy to all of a sudden pop up and, you know, be something because he's in Kyle Shanahan's scheme. I don't know what to think about Jaron McKinnon, but, you know, he's there. He's, a, you know, a little bit of a threat. So um, I, he's going to have to sustain an unsustainable touchdown rate to truly be a fantasy asset uh, because I don't think he's, he's not going to catch many passes and he's playing a running back by committee with Tevin Coleman, who Kyle Shanahan loves. I mean, just adores Kevin, uh, 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 Tevin Coleman. Now, if the 49ers sign Raheem Mostert to an extension before the season, which has been talked about, apparently Raheem Mostert's uh, agents went to the 49ers and said, hey, we, we want an extension, and the 49ers have said no so far. But if they do eventually say yes, that would instill some confidence. At the same time, that would instill confidence from everyone, and his ADP would probably go from – uh, last I checked, it was like fifth, sixth. They would probably all of a sudden go to third, fourth, and I certainly wouldn't wouldn't want it there either. So, Wolf, I completely respect your take. I respect you know Sigmund Bloom's take about Raheem Mostert, and I've thought I've tried to go outside of myself to be like, hey, am I wrong here? You know, am I am I doing bad analysis here? But I, I've I've stayed uh, convicted to my stance anti Raheem Mostert as much as it pains me. And as much as, you know, he has made me uh, lots of money in the past. And you're not alone. I mean, there's a lot of just as many as smart guys that might be in his corner. I keep seeing the anti-Raheem Mostert drumbeat. 
and it's trying to, it starts to make me want to reevaluate it. But in the, the whole argument of journeyman, he, he, how has he, if he's that good, how has he not been used yet? And I get that. It's just even that preseason type of thing illuminates when he's been used. He's been pretty damn good. And, and I You're think right. the, you are right. You know, it, but he has never had an NFL team and he's been in the league since, I don't know, 14 or 15, I think. And he's been with like seven different teams. These guys get screwed, man. These guys that are UDFAs, they get screwed because no team ever commits to them. So if they have the, the smallest little miscue, you know, this was the case for Charles Johnson. Remember the wide receiver, Charles Johnson? He was just, he was very, very talented. I mean, his uh, metrics, you know, his athletic profile was like Terrell freaking Owens. Um, he had a minute there with the Vikings, but they, uh, but then he got hurt and they were just like, boom, we don't care. We didn't invest anything in you. So we're, we're going to let you go. And, you know, and then he went to the, um, was it the, AAF and he was like by far the best player on the field and apparently you know according to reports he was the best player on the field at um in uh in Brown's training camp when he was there a little bit and you know and he had a great run a little like it was a small run but he had a really strong little run with the Vikings and um oh he also had an incredible preseason with Teddy Bridgewater with the Jets uh I mean he could he was an NFL player except no one ever attached anything to him. So the slightest thing went wrong, then they didn't care, you know. Uh, Rashad Ross is another guy like that, you know. And Raheem Mostert is kind of in that – now Raheem Mostert has done more actual – you know, he's had, had more actual productivity. He's in, had it in games that really mattered, you know, like the playoffs and the Super Bowl. But um, the slightest little misstep and – they will cut ties. That, that's why the, the extension matters. But again, the extension is going to catapult his ADP. So it's like, I don't know, man. He's, 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 a, he's a tough one. It's, it's honestly, it's a good, healthy debate. And it's going to be interesting to see who's right. Exactly. And all of that makes perfect sense. Like UDFAs just don't get the, the chance that a lot of them probably deserve. The one thing with Moster, and I had uh, Grant Cohen, he's like a San Fran guy that, that came on, and he kept emphasizing Kyle Shanahan's ego. And when he can find a, a hidden gem like Mostert, and then he finally performs, it almost like makes him like, I got to start feeding this guy. And he had a few quotes at the end of the season, like, oh, Raheem Mostert, like, what are we doing if we don't give this guy a chance? And obviously, we saw that running back eight for those last, you know, week 12 to 17. We saw the playoff game, the second most rushing yards in NFL history in that. So when he was finally used, he got it. I use that Rotoviz splits app, which I, I love, to just be like, okay, if this guy gets nine carries how does he do and I was blown away it was 267 fantasy points out uh, you know season-long outlook on just games he gets nine carries and it's like obviously you can't just extrapolate that and say okay if he gets nine carries this year he's going to score 267 fantasy points but it goes to show when he has been used he's really done it up and you know two that would have been RB6 last year so if he gets let's say you know 12 15 with Matt Breida now gone Man, like I, I could totally see just an absolute blow up because I love the blocking scheme. The line is so fantastic. They've really just built that system up so well, and he fits it perfectly. The way he can, when he finds the lane, he is just gone and he is shooting out there. I get the the receiving concerns, and, and that's something I talked about with Grant. Was like, 
but this guy ever going to catch passes yet? As you said, 13 catches or 13 even targets, maybe not even catches in that span. It's like, what's going on there? And he was like, well, this guy was a receiver in high school. He's got great long speed. You saw him used if he was used as a wheel route guy with, you know, Emmanuel Sanders throwing to him, he was getting open downfield on jet sweeps uh, into wheel routes. And Grant was like, I wouldn't be shocked to see a whole lot more of those type of routes from Mostert. He's not great over the middle and in the short game, but you can send this guy streaking and he has those long receiving plays and he was predicting they're going to use him a lot more in that capacity. So uh, yes, there's obviously the concern with the usage, the, the undrafted free agent profile, but if his ADP does stay in that five, six range where I already have two, maybe three running backs I'm confident in, and you're telling me this guy might get 12 to 15 carries in this the running scheme that was second most in the league last year, Shanahan has two. I mean, there is a history where there's tons of committees, but there's also you know 12 seasons of calling plays. Six of them, a guy has had 280 more touches. We saw what happened with Devontae Freeman when he was like an eighth-round pick and then just – he handed the workload over to him. So if that, I don't think it's going to happen. Otherwise, Raheem Mostert would be even higher on my board. But let's say it does happen. There's just a ceiling there at a fifth, sixth round price that I just keep finding myself, especially when I have a, a couple surefire running backs, I keep going towards. You seem like a very, you know, idealistic um, uh, thinker. I, I always have the ceiling in mind. Like, I, it, that's kind of, you know. <laughs> that, that's not a bad way to just do it. You know, that's, that's a really good way to do it. Um, yeah. I mean, I still doubt the ceiling because I just – to really have a ceiling as a running back, you need to be a guy who can get 16, 18 carries a game and um, catch three to five passes a game. I just – I don't see him getting the receiving usage like that. But – uh Hey, you know, we'll I'll see you in the streets, bro. I hope so. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. see. Streets, Cheers Wolf. if he does, right? Exactly. But hopefully he does. I again don't think it is, but that's what's baked into his price right now. And again, as you said, if he starts rising up to round three, we'll of course have to reevaluate. But right now, I, I'm going to take that shot because there is a, a humongous ceiling, in my opinion baked into that price that I think is getting a little overlooked right now um, by a lot of people that, that I respect. And I, I, as you and so many others have brought up guys that I really respect, I want to reconsider it, but just the price tag is, is so appealing at that point. Like if I don't have my third running back and it's round five and he's sitting there, I take him almost every time. Um, mm. In terms of wide receiver, I, I hinted at this guy a lot. <laughs> I bring it up my cross check, and that's Juju, wide receiver eight right now. You have him even over DeAndre Hopkins, one of the, the greats to do it over these last few years, which is pretty damn confidently, old. confidently ahead of DeAndre. Oh, Hopkins. Let's hear it. What, what has you so confident on Juju over DeAndre? I love it. I mean, Juju was like a borderline first round pick last year. The whole argument against him is based on unfortunate injury situations and recency bias. Um, you know, I, he has, I mean, he, again, I love betting on quarterback and pass catcher uh, connections, you know, established demonstrated connections. And how many has Ben Roethlisberger even completed a pass in his career to Deontay Johnson? I, I'm not, I'd have to go look at that. Um, and he's completed a, a shit ton to Juju Smith-Schuster who, uh, by the age of 23, had more yards than any uh, receiver in the history of the league and uh, is, is in his contract year at age like 
22. I mean, he, he just, he was just, uh, became legal to, to drink. I mean, he's, uh, you know, he's, he's, I think he's a phenomenal talent who ran into a, just a horror. I think he was a great fantasy pick. I don't think there was anything wrong with the process last year. This game is about targets, bro. This game is about targets so, so much. And Juju Smith-Schuster could lead the NFL in targets. I mean, he's, he's in the mix to, to you know, as, as one of those guys that could uh, – I don't, I don't care about people say, oh, he's not that good. Oh, he was a creation of Antonio Brown or something like that. Like that does not matter. Um, what matters is how many times is he going to get the ball. And he's going to get the ball a lot from Ben Roethlisberger. Um, and that's like pretty much the end of the analysis. You know, that's you know, end of tweet. Uh, this dude could get 170 targets, and I want guys like that on my team. I, I think my lower ranking of him is less a, a reflection on Juju as it is more so – I don't know if I have faith in Big Ben. I mean, the, the couple pictures I've seen of this dude, he looks horrendous. He's fat. He's out of shape. His beard was, like, ridiculous just that's a few the, months that's ago. That's the downside. That's the downside. Although, and, and, did you see, yeah. the, did you see the, uh, the new pictures of him? It looks like he went and got a haircut and got <laughs> – got a real job i love that whole tweet where he's like yep i'm back i cut my hair and i'm back but it's like ultimately he doesn't look like he doesn't look like grizzly adams anymore exactly so i guess it's still a little more faith but it's ultimately like i mean his arm just fell off out of kind of nowhere last year he's 38 not to say that that's just it could have been a complete fluke but if that happens again then suddenly what, what happens to Juju is clearly last year, it didn't work out for him. Unlike, you know, DeAndre Hopkins, who has made magic out of TJ Yates and friggin' nobody's his entire career outside of Brock Osweiler. seems pretty QB proof to me. And Juju just didn't seem like to be that, that level of guy. And maybe he is. And if Ben stays healthy all 16, then I am way too low on Juju. I'm going to be looking like a complete moron because he will be in that top 12, 15 I just and he came out and said I've I've got alcohol problems I've been beaten off every fucking day. like whatever his his quote was like alcohol I don't know problems don't we all yeah well of course I mean we've we've been pounding beers this entire podcast so like <laughs> totally but I'm not on an NFL field chucking the ball down the field a hundred times I don't know I just it's more a reflection my lower is on my lack of faith right now in Big Ben coming back and actually sustaining what he used to be. If he does, I'm going to be dead wrong. But to me, I'm going to bet on a talent like Hopkins that has just got it done with jack shit in his career and now gets the Kyler Murray that I guess you're a little lower on in the industry, but a lot of people are just like, this is the next guy to rise up. But you keep talking about that continuity of the offseason, and that could be a big factor is building that rapport, not having that already established. Is that kind of what has you a little bit lower on DeAndre is not being in this offense and now this whole weird offseason? Or what's your take there? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, he's got to le- learn a new offense in an off-season-less year. He's got to learn how to, you know, I mean, I, I just think the situation is very similar to what happened in Cleveland last year where you know, everybody was anticipating this leap from, from Baker Mayfield. I, I think warrantedly, I, I was expecting a leap from, from Baker Mayfield, um, and I screwed up on Odell Beckham. I had him as, as I think, the number three overall receiver. And I think DeAndre Hopkins right now is the wide receiver three in, in uh, FFPC ADP or wide receiver four. I think he did, just did get recently passed, and now he's the wide receiver four. But um, I think that 
DeAndre Hopkins is to Odell Beckham as Christian Kirk is to Jarvis Landry. Jarvis Landry had a hell of a year. No one talks about how, how great of a year Jarvis Landry had last season. And Kyler Murray has that established connection with uh, Christian Kirk. I know Christian Kirk sort of fell below breakout expectations last year, but I mean, he got banged up a little bit and he had uh, four more catches in 10 of his 13 games. Um, so Kyler was looking for him. And um, I think that, uh, yeah, I think that the, the answer is to fade DeAndre Hopkins, certainly at his ADP. And we have him way low, but, but below his ADP. I mean, if he's wide receiver four, right, we have him at wide receiver 10, I think, or, or maybe even lower than that. Um, and then you buy Christian Kirk, who I think is this year's Jarvis Landry. They even play similar positions. Like, DeAndre, like Christian Kirk and Larry Fitzgerald are going to be the slot receivers in the Cardinals' four receiver sets, and DeAndre Hopkins is going to be outside. DeAndre Hopkins like lived as a back shoulder and contested catch receiver. When have we seen Kyler Murray – really, you know, kick it with a, a back shoulder contested catch receiver. It, um, was C, I wouldn't say C.D. Lamb was that. C.D. Lamb was a guy who, like, dominated after the catch and uh, in the slot. And then um, who was the other guy? Marquise Brown was, like, a deep threat. So, I mean, DeAndre Hopkins going to be number one guy. I do a shy away 40. Every year, like 40 guys to fade, just don't, you know, just draft around them. Let other people take them. And DeAndre Hopkins might be the number one guy. I mean, I think he's a horrible pick at, uh, at like, wide receiver four. And, and as much as I want to go to bat for him right here, I often am finding myself taking a running back or another receiver over him anyways. Uh, but I am just hoping, you know, that in an offense that targeted the wide receivers almost 70% of the time, they get this alpha that should, could just, you know, behind only Tyreek and deep touchdowns. Well, and they're also like, you know, a very uh, run-friendly team. They didn't yeah. pass. They were 22nd. Maybe they'll jump up to 14th in, in, in uh, offensive plays. They're, they're an elite running team. Though. I mean, they, they're going to run the piss out of the ball because they're really, really good at it. You know, they, they spread their offensive linemen out, so they create, like, inherent gaps. And um, Kenyon Drake just explodes through those gaps. Kyler will run it. I mean, they're they're not going to lead the NFL in pass attempts. I mean, they you know they're 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 going to be like balanced. I think largely from a run pass ratio. And DeAndre Hopkins is going to get going to be a decoy a lot on the outside in that offense. And I, and I will admit too, I after reading your team preview on the Cardinals, I, I already was high on Drake. I had him above DeAndre Hopkins. I had him as a fringe first rounder. I think I moved him up to like eight or seven even on my big board. Like I I already loved him, and then I saw those type of stats that that kind of justified what I was seeing even more so. So I, I love that Arizona Cardinals team preview. That was a, a fantastic one. The the only other wide receiver I had a question on was Devontae Parker. I mean, this guy blew up last year, number two wide receiver after week seven, once Fitzmagic kind of took over only behind Michael Thomas. And you see Chan Gailey, who's got this history. He comes in, he's got a history of peppering his top guys, 157, 141, 134, 148, 173, and then 128 over his last five years of coordinating for the number one receiver there. If we can peg Devontae Parker for those style of targets again after, you know, last year we saw that bevy, we saw that con consistency. 
I don't see why he wouldn't at least be top 15, but you have him down at, you know, wide receiver 30. So you're not buying it. And I, I get the hesitancy after he took four or five, whatever it is seemingly forever to break out. I don't know if that's the concern. And you're just like, maybe that was the one year fluke and I don't want to buy a one year wonder, but you're definitely lower on him than I am. So is there a case against Devonte Parker that my listeners got to hear? Yeah. I mean, the, the case against Devonte Parker is really strong. Um, it's that he, uh, he averaged 50 yards per game before Preston Williams went down and over 100 yards per game after Preston Williams went down. Um, I've always believed in his talent. Um, I've always been a fan of his talent. But um, he's, I mean, he's, he's just a, he's a recency bias guy. He's like, you know, the same people that like him, like Raheem Mostert. You know what I mean? Like, you know, and that's, that's fine. Sometimes those guys hit, you know. Devontae Barker's still a very young player. I mean, the Ryan Fitzpatrick aspect of this, like, Tua is going to play at some, some point, probably. Um, Preston Williams is back. You know, uh, Preston Williams looked like, was starting to look at, like the number one receiver uh, in the previous games prior to him going down. It looked like he was starting to overtake uh, Devontae Parker. I just, I'm avoiding the Dolphins' offense in general. I'm below consensus on Chiseki. I don't, I don't know why people are, are talking themselves uh, in, into this offense. Uh, to, to, to be perfectly frank, um, I, I don't, I don't, I don't get it at all. I mean, it's, it's, it's not going to be a very good offense. Uh, Preston Williams is back to take usage. The running back situation is people are trying to talk themselves in and Brita and Jordan Howard. Like, I mean, maybe, maybe in 2021, I think we could see this offense take a step forward with, with Tua and, and Devontae Parker and Preston Williams and Jacecki. But I don't, I don't think that that's going to be, and this is another team that is changing offensive coordinators during an off season last year. I mean, it's just no, thank you. You know, no, thank you. I know it is interesting that that's going to come into such an, a weird play as these new offensive coordinators. I just did a show with Pete Davidson all about these new offenses and who knows if we're going to see any of them get to the levels that we hope a lot of them will because of this weird continuity. Yeah. You can oh, try yeah. to teach it, it over is, zoom. But. I mean, I feel like I'm making it a really big part of my analysis this year yeah. and my projections this year. And other people aren't because when I listen to other podcasts, like they don't talk about it. You don't talk about the off season this year. Maybe it's too hard to, you know, involve in, 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 integrate. But I mean, I, I can't even imagine it not being a, a very big thing. It has to be, and and it's a tough pill to swallow, especially for you know rookie. I, I love Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Oh, yeah. I love the right. landing spot. I I want to take him in round two and have him be the next Brian Westbrook. So it's so hard for me to be like, yeah, well, it might be a six, seven, eight week learning gap and. If you have to eat that, there's a decent chance for your second rounder that you might not be in contention when he does start to blow up. Or, you know, Jonathan Taylor, same thing. I love the line and I love the fit. But, man, if he doesn't get himself acclimated and hopefully running back, it's, a, it's an easier transition anyways that it might not be. But, yeah, it's, it's got to be weighed in. And, and I, I agree with you. I don't think anybody's really – I think we're all kind of trying to be blissfully ignorant because it's such a tough time to just live life in general. So we all just want to be like football. It's all perfect. It's all good. And it's not really right now, which is, I think you're smart to factor that in a lot more. I hope so because I write about it in like every article that I write. So, yeah. and I don't see anybody talking about it very much. So, 
I mean, some people will add it, like use it as like a, a little addendum, you know, at the end. But I mean, I don't know. We'll see. The last guy I have, we're going to tight end now just to try to hit every single position is Austin Hooper. You got him at tight end eight, which I think is just a little too high. I get how great he was last year. Tight end one. Everyone thinks it's too high. Everyone thinks it's too high. And so what's your case then for for why you have him so high? Because I don't buy it right now. (laughs) He's going to be a really big part of their offense. He's a floor play though. So he doesn't meet your criteria. And I, I completely respect your um, your sort of almost upside, you know, mm-hmm. track upside. I, I, I dig that. I dig that. Um, but at the tight end position, I think he's about as solid as you can get in that sort of tier that he's in. Um, you know, I think he's going to be right around like 60, uh, like 700 and um, six or seven. And, uh, you know, that's, um, I mean, he's, he's going to be on the field like all the time. Uh, and that's about it. I mean, the, the tight end position, I think it's really actually deeper than, than it ever has been that, that I can remember even being a fantasy analyst, but there's no one really that has like a 55 to 65 catch floor outside of the absolute studs up top. I mean, Blake Jarwin, like I love Blake Jarwin, but I mean, he could catch 37 passes. You know I mean? Austin Hooper is going to catch 55. And so um, he's going to be like usable, uh, but I think it's very, very, very fair to question his ceiling. First of all, his game isn't really, suitable to a big ceiling unless he's in some crazy situation like he was last year in Atlanta where they led the NFL in pass attempts and just throwing the throwing the cover off the ball you know um I don't know I've thought about moving him down I I I honestly have but I can't bring myself to bring him below Tyler Higby who is right behind him and uh Tyler Higby I know that the world is on fire for Tyler Higby and trust me, again, as someone who had him on both of my FFPC main event teams, $1,850 buy-in last year, I get it. But Gerald Everett, before he got hurt, was out, he out-targeted Tyler Higby 56-27 to 27 on the season before those final five games. So um, Tyler Higby is about as boom-bust, dicey as you can possibly get. The Rams love Josh Reynolds. One of the reasons that they cited in their post-draft press conference why they traded away Brandon Cooks, um, Austin Hooper, just a, just a, a like, uh, he's buying. Uh, what what would be a, a good comment? You know, you'd be like, uh, he'd be like American Pie, and then Tyler Higby would be like, you know, some old chocolate cake that you've had in the freezer for like three months. It could be awesome, you know, but it could it could like poison you. <laughs> <laughs> it's very interesting. Yeah. It's comparing him to sweets of a great analogy. I love just like comparing fantasy players to random shit like that to like try to, <laughs> to ground the, the, the comparisons. That's fantastic. I mean, I, my biggest worry is how big is this pie going to be? How many mouths uh, there, there's Odell, there's Jarvis Landry who works that same kind of area of the field, as you said, had such a great season last year. And I, I love Landry. So it's just like, is there going to be enough room for Higby? And you said it's a floor play. So I guess, you know, that's kind of the argument and me a notorious ceiling chaser. I want the guy that could win me my league and, and it's not going to be Hooper. He's certainly not going to be a league winner. And when you have 
such an intriguing tight end pool this year, uh, deeper than it, than it's ever been. If I, if I kind of cut that, like, Oh my God, this guy could be number one tight end at like, you know, Evan Ingram, if he ever stayed healthy, if I'm not taking him, then I'm kind of just waiting on Johnu Smith or, or oh, Eric Ebron, you know, like I, I'm, I'm not taking Johnu Smith, but I'll, I'll definitely take Ebron. Yeah. I'll take Jarwin. Um, I'll even take a little bit of um, uh, Sternberger. Um, Some Jack Doyle. <laughs> I take Gerald Everett in like every draft. Mm. You know, he's the Rams starting tight end. I mean, yeah. yeah. Aside, I, I, from the, aside from the last five games of last season when he was hurt. Um, but no, I, I, I completely agree with you. Actually, Austin Hooper goes so late in drafts that, I mean, I don't draft him where I have him ranked. You know, I, um, I, I, I did a recent draft where I took Austin Hooper, Ian Thomas, and Jack Doyle as my three tight ends in a best ball. And I was like, and I got him like around 11, 13, and 15. And I was like, I love this tight end stable. You know, this is going to be great. Um, you know, so I, I, I'm completely with you. I, at the same time, I, mean, I love drafting George Kittle. Uh, I, I actually boosted him up way up in, in our rankings recently because I wanted to make sure just in the top 150, I didn't move him above Kelsey, but I've been a little tempted to at times. And I just wanted to move him in a spot in the top 150 where we made sure that our audience, our readers were going to at least have a chance at him. Um, because I think he can have, he can have an absolutely special season, which is kind of enhanced by uh, the Debo Samuel situation. Absolutely. I mean, I, I was citing that Grant Cohen interview and he came on and said, if, if he does go on the PUP, if Debo Samuel's out for those games, like the target share that Kittle is going to inherit would be insane. I mean, we're, he was like 14, 15 targets a game. Dude, it, it, can you imagine? I, Jimmy Garoppolo, well, and yo, look at their early season schedule too. Jimmy Garoppolo to George Kittle uh, in DFS ought to be, ought to be. Wolfpack, sorry, that just cut out right on you. The Zoom filled up. We had to hang up. But, man, that was incredible. Evan Silva, thank you so much. At Evan Silva on Twitter was an absolute pleasure and just fun time. I thought we were 20 minutes in and we were just flowing so well uh, that it was almost two hours of talking. And you're the absolute man for giving us that time all your insight, especially on some players that I might not be pumping. You gave incredible cases. It's just a great, great time. One of my favorite interviews. Thank you so much, Evan. Uh, and Wolfpack, thanks so much for tuning in. You can check us all out at rotostreetjournal.com. You can find the pod notes at ffbdpod.com as well. Thanks so much again. It means the world that you guys listen. And if you have the time to leave a review, even better. Again, thanks so much, Wolfpack. Can't wait to bring you the next one. We used to have it all, but now's our curtain call. So hold for the applause. Oh, 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 oh. And wave out to the crowd and take our final bow. Oh, it's our time to go, but at least we stole the show. 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 Second effort, third effort, touchdown! Oh. That's pretty awesome.
Clemson football right there, folks.